Welcome to the Be Kind Podcast with your host, Joe Kirkner, presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania. Welcome everybody to the Be Kind Podcast, part of the Animal Advocates mission to create a more compassionate world for all living creatures, whether on the left side of the aisle, the right side of the aisle, the top of the aisle, the bottom of the aisle, or in a completely different building. All animals and creatures deserve to be loved, and we're here to make a world where they are loved. Today, I have the honor of being joined by John Beck, my co-host. Hello. And Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Hi. Uh, Nathan, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, your vegan journey, and what you're really passionate about? Sure. So my name is Nathan Lund. I'm a political consultant in the the Harrisburg area, but really I'm an issue-based person. I didn't get into politics because I wanted to put people in offices. I got into politics because like I really care about the welfare of all beings. But like I'm a person, I I live under laws. I want to have an impact on them. And then everybody I care about also also lives under laws. So so I think I probably got started pretty early on as a bit of an environmentalist because that's that's been a passion of mine for a long time. I helped to found an environmental club when I was in middle school. It was a public-private partnership between, um, oops, sorry, the dog's sneezing over there. Um, <laughs> okay. And I think, I think we'll get into dogs a little bit later. But uh, but yeah, there's there's like foreshadowing, I believe we want to call it. <laughs> um, so I, I helped start this, this club at my middle school. And we did this really cool thing where we planted grass along the, the bay of a river. And I, I like to get really metaphorical about it when when people ask why I got into like organizing and into political work. And the grass that we planted, it was there to make the shore resistant to corrosion, right? So I think that when I'm choosing campaigns, whether they're issue based or uh, you know candidate based, I I just really try to choose people who are going to be that grass. I want I want to have solid soil, and I I just want to I want to make sure that the people who I'm Supporting the causes I'm supporting are gonna are gonna really make sure that the future is good for for all of us. And I really do use us in the most expansive way because I include our non-human animal compatriots in that group. And then for for my vegan journey, which was either the first or second part of the question, I actually switched in the summer before I started high school. I was actually reading a lot of philosophy at that time, uh, as as one does before starting high school. And uh, and I ended up reading like this jurisprudence journal that featured um, an article by Gary L. Francione. Uh, Francioni, actually. I, I found out recently that I've been mispronouncing his name for years, but old habits die hard. Uh, so so he's been a, a professor of law who focuses on animal rights and how the law can be a vehicle for that. And I just found his perspective really enlightening. It actually ended up being really basic, the basis of it, though, because I had already accepted as a meat eater at the time that uh, I didn't want to do unnecessary harm to animals. I think Uh, If you ask anybody, they generally just agree with that. And they don't really interrogate what that means. What I realized when I was 14 was that almost all the harm that we inflict on animals is unnecessary. So if I actually wanted to live in accordance with that value, I I had to, to switch. So irony of ironies, I, I told my mom that I wasn't going to be eating animal products anymore. And her response was that I was going to need a job because she was going to buy all the same food that she had been buying for years. And I got a job at McDonald's in order to fund my veganism, <laughs> which anytime I tell people that it's just like you're you were working at a place where where they were probably contributing more to the exploitation of animals than almost any other restaurant just because of the sheer volume of what they were putting out. 
continue to put out. But for me, it, it was an option. It was the only option that I could really find. So, yeah, that that's kind of my vegan journey. Are there are there any other things that uh, I should I should kind of share about? It or? Yeah. No, I think that was some great background and. I thought of a terrible pun to go along with your first part about grass. The grass is always greener, right? Ah, <laughs> ah, that's true. That's true. Now we just need to get to that other side to see if it's true or not. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned about working at McDonald's and being vegan at the same time. That I hear that a lot from vegans where they work in places where they have to deal with meat products and stuff like that. And it's like, it's mm-hmm. that thing they have to juggle around. It's with their ethics. It's like, they need to survive and pay bills but at the same time it's like they have that whole you know it's just one of those things that what do you do you know i always go back to the game i play called what's the alternative right so for Mm -hmm. nathan in that case it sounds like the alternative was not being vegan and then having some other person working mcdonald's who wasn't vegan or wasn't bringing that influence to the workplace so i think even though it was maybe tough for you and there's certain points we could debate on nauseam that that's you can find plenty of podcasts or blog articles to do that. I think for your situation and what you brought to the table at the workplace every day probably ended up affecting more people than you even know. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know that one of my friends at the time, I don't know if he stayed with it or not, but I know that he, he at least tried veganism for a year, the year that I knew him. And it was because I wasn't super evangelical about it, but I was consistent and I just kind of, I I brought joy to it because I think that the best way to sell veganism generally is just to show that it it doesn't need to derail your life because a lot of people think like, oh, that must keep you from doing so many things. And, And I'm 29 now, so that was 15 years ago. And back then, the options were a little bit more sparse. So uh, it wasn't derailing in a way that, you know, was at all inconvenient enough to not make the switch. But it was inconvenient enough to where like, I couldn't just tell people, well, there are alternatives to everything, everything that you could want, which at this point, I mean, there almost is. We could talk about McDonald's and working and all that all day. But the real reason we want you on the podcast today is you're very active politically, as you were saying. Can you talk a little bit about your current or recent political work and how it relates to the vegan movement? Yeah. So it's a little bit rough because my my work, almost like McDonald's, my work doesn't intersect too much with it. It's more so in the way that I specifically exist in these spaces and the effect that that has. And then outside of my philosophy and, and how I share it with people and how I try to bring people into the uh, into the fold, sorry, it's kind of just making sure that there is a voice for animals on campaigns. Because when we have like things where people don't generally think about it as having like animal rights implications in uh, for people who are incarcerated, maybe having options like vegan options available to them and requiring stuff like that. That's something that people wouldn't normally think of, but that's something that there is like an appetite for. Whereas with most animal rights legislation, there's just not in, in America versus in the the UK and, uh, and the EU where they have much more, much more involved laws as far as animal rights go and and it goes not not so much beyond animal welfare but it, it does kind of um, 
it gets to the point where uh, there's there's at least a definition of veganism, which we don't we don't actually have defined as a philosophy that can be like one of those deeply held uh, quasi religious beliefs, which is something that we they do have in other countries. So so that's one of my kind of hobby horses where I'd really like to have it introduced as a deeply held belief because then it comes with certain protections and a certain level of legal scrutiny that we just we we can't have in our current system or without that we're not able to really push for liberation in a way that I would like to. Currently, I'm working on a mayoral race in, in Harrisburg. Um, I'm working for Dave Shankweiler. The extent of my, my vegan influence on that is making sure that there, there are vegan options available to, to volunteers. I'm a field coordinator, so mostly what I do is like volunteer coordination. So that's my main contribution right now. But in the past, worked um, I've worked to kind of lobby legislators for for some of those changes, like the, the philosophy and the, the deeply held belief change. So so that's kind of my, my more political background. You mentioned animal liberation in some of our previous communications, and you touched on a little bit here. How do you handle the, I guess, conflict between a lot of the more welfare-based reforms that people push for, like bigger pens and slaughterhouses, more mm-hmm. quote-unquote humane treatment of animals <laughs> during the slaughter and things like that with your animal liberation beliefs? Because those seem really at odds with each other. Right. And and I think that my goal would never be to push for animal welfare legislation, but by pushing for liberation, people end up mitigating some of the harm that they do. There's there's this really problematic comparison that gets made, but it's also somewhat astute, where um, people will say, and I, w- I want to preface this as much as possible just to say, like, I'm not at all equating the, the things that, that I'm about to use in an analogy, but there's there's this question of if you were someone who was an abolitionist uh, during the time when slavery was legal in America, would you have been satisfied with better mattresses or mattresses at all for people who were enslaved? Would you have been happy with, like, musical requirements? Like, you need to make sure that they, they have some enjoyment in their life. Or would the property status of those people have have been irreconcilable with any level of welfare that you could have given to them? And I go down on that side where I say, no matter how comfortable you can make it while an animal is property, that doesn't resolve the issue that you're you're making them property. You're making a living being who who's sentient, has feelings, has a personality. You're making that into something that's indistinguishable in the law from a television which is, it just doesn't seem morally consistent to me with how people think about animals, let alone going to my philosophy, like even people's own internal philosophies, it just doesn't really agree with it, I don't think. I have a curveball question I didn't send to you, but something that I'm anxious to hear about is someone who works in politics, obviously you have to cultivate a lot of relationships, play nice with a lot of people, and for (laughs) lack of a better word, kiss a lot of ass. So That's true. Are there any hills you've died on or will die on if they come up in a conversation or any conflicts or things like that, that really you just had to put your foot on and say, you know what, I can't do this. This is really not along with my ethics. Sorry. I wish that I could say that I had more examples of me um, me putting my foot down when it comes to like overall campaign decisions. Really, though, I don't extend it too far beyond 
my own choices. And while I think that, you know, there there's definitely some cognitive dissonance for me there, because uh, would I step in if it were like a human child or something that that people were going to talk about considering a party? Like, for sure. I, I wouldn't go to that event. I wouldn't support that event. I would go find another campaign. So there's definitely cognitive dissonance there. But I mean, I have been asked in the past to go along with menus that are for events and to not stand out. So like basically people requesting that I I just, you know, eat whatever is on the menu or at least choose from the limited options. That way I wouldn't alienate people. There's this there's this notion of like alienating people by being too moralistic. And I've never copped to that. I don't think that that's a that's a good reason. I think, you know, there are discussions to be had about like harm that's already done and and whether like food waste warrants it. Like if you get cheese on a burger, but you order like on a vegan burger, of course, that you ordered without it. Is it more moral to send it back where it's probably going to end up in the trash? Or is it more moral to just eat it or like take the, the cheese off of it and consume it? I'm I'm generally not much of a purist when it comes to that because the harm is already done, which is why these days I really try to eat at exclusively vegan places as much as possible. But unfortunately, that's not always possible. So I don't really have a ton of stories about I'm not putting my foot down on things. Maybe it's it's a good goal to have, though, that I um, I be a little bit more vocal on the campaigns I work. Yeah, I call it you bank relationship points and positive vibes with people. So when you have that mm-hmm. moment where you do have to put your foot down or have that hill you're going to die on, you can still preserve things because you have all that good karma built up over the years. That's a good way of thinking about it. And also, like I said before, and I think that this doesn't really get enough attention in vegan circles, it really, there is some value to normalizing veganism. So apart from advocating, protesting, doing all the other things that are also really helpful, there's something to be said for just being an example of how veganism can be doable, can be easy, can be fun even. And I think that there's a lot of value to that. And when you are able to sit next to the people who are, you know, carnists and just kind of show them that you're you're living the same life as them, except without causing harm to non-human animals, then, you know, it, it just makes it less of a bridge to cross if they ever do think about taking animal products out of their diet and out of their lives. Definitely. And I'm going to backpedal a little bit to some of the other things you were saying in regards to animal liberation. And it sounds like you're really pushing for people to look at animals more as individuals and not as property. Mm -hmm. But then how do you reconcile or feel about things like pets or even zoos or farmed animal sanctuaries where, Mm -hmm. yes, we can call them our companions, we can call them our tenants, our residents, however much we want. But at the end of the day, there still is that legal liability, legal protection, legal obligation to feed, serve, and make sure they're cared for and within the law they are still looked upon as our property how do you feel about that or do we need to remove these institutions to fully embrace your animal liberation philosophy right so now we're getting into the pets bit so um i'm gonna have to ask my dog to cover her ears right now so (laughs) just don't listen to this okay You're, you're gonna be all right so i think that ultimately pets insofar as they're domesticated animals who would not fare well in the wild without us i think spaying neutering and then you know we have this responsibility to them i think because the same way that like society i don't think narrowing it down to parents is is that helpful um but society has a responsibility to beings that don't ask to come into existence. So if a child is born, we have a responsibility to that being 
because they they do exist. <laughs> Whatever we we think about philosophically about their existence, how they came into being, they're here. So there's a responsibility to to treat them with compassion and care. And I, I extend that to to pets as well or companion animals. So I think that that's something that's important for us to do. But I also don't think that they they should necessarily exist going forward. I have so much hesitation to say that just because my life has been so enriched by by the by the companions I've had by my furry friends but at the same time with the suffering that happens on the other side of it for all of them that come into existence and then they're either misused abused put into works which is just a lot of the time unnecessary but it's it's like it it agrees with our with the property status it we don't have trouble thinking about you know this this dog can serve as a cane like it can brace itself on the stairs to help somebody get up it's like you know what else can do that a cane so there there are some of these things where i just i worry that we uh, or I, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Um, I get a little too precious about it, where um, because of the experiences I've had, I want more people to have those. But at the same time, you can't miss what you don't have. So if if domesticated animals were to go extinct, like across the board, because by definition, domesticated animals would not exist without us. They don't generally contribute to biodiversity. I don't think that future generations can miss them. If that makes sense. That's such a deep answer. Jeez. Yeah. That is very much looking at the <laughs> yeah. long game. I like it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, yeah. And when it comes to, to zoos and things, I think that there's there's a similar uh, duty to, to care, especially if the reason that like an animal requires rehabilitation was because of human uh, intervention or, or because of accidents or things like that. I think that there's space for those. But I think that, you know, the type of zoos that exist just to put animals on display, that's that's not something that really agrees with me in any way. I think it's just depriving them of fuller life. And and to me, it's unjustifiable, honestly. Yeah, I'm going to play the what's the alternative game again when it comes to pets is we can't, well, I'm always coming this with assuming that you're adopting and not buying pets if you're vegan. I know of many course. vegans who will adopt pets or adopt animals to serve as their domestic companions but i don't i've yet to meet one that says puppy mills are great or i love going to PetSmart and buying the very anemic looking hamsters <laughs> so assuming we're adopting our non-human companions it's similar to your point about getting the burger with cheese on it or something like that where otherwise these animals would just be cast the wayside or go let go in the wild or more often than not city to live right. lives of pain and suffering and most likely die incredibly early deaths because of cars, right. trash, germs, other feral animals, what have you. So the alternative is, is giving them a home and helping them stay around and live rich, fulfilling lives. But knowing that by adopting, not buying, you're not contributing to the system that produced the cruelty in the first place. Right. Yeah, because uh, essentially it, it's almost a factory, right? Like it's it's a puppy mill. Like a mill is, is is a factory of a sort. So that's that's the thinking. You're you're creating this animal just for the purpose of selling it. It's property. <laughs> that's that's its only value that it has is what it can give you monetarily. So yeah, I think that that's that's definitely just it's something that's so so obviously wrong and and I don't see how it could it could really be sustainable as a system if if there were a way for there to be like companion animals who existed in their full lives and they were able to go through and make choices uh and and still like 
be cared for since again they didn't ask to to exist it was something that we you know we uh, caused to happen maybe maybe there's some like theoretical way that i could be in favor of companion animals existing into perpetuity but i just i haven't been able to cross that bridge and like I said, I, I go through <laughs> I go through hoops for it because I really have had um, a much richer life because of them. And in some ways, I, I credit um, a lot of the animals that have been in my life with you know the switch that I made because I've I've been able to witness their um, their personalities. I've been able to see that they are individuals, and yeah, it's it's been a profound impact. So I worry that we might miss out on something with that. But I also, I'm a big fan of expanding our wild spaces and allowing us to be like tourists in them as opposed to people who kind of create boundaries around them and continue to deplete them. And I think that there's space there for us to still have appreciation for animals and the the highly individualized personalities that they have without actually breeding them just for them to live in our houses. I was trying to think of a way we could make that reality and the only thing I came to top of my head was if you had a fertile female and a fertile male companion animal and they just kept breeding and making babies and but then they'd be all inbred pets and that would be no good. Right, right. I like it would almost have to be like a like a secondary society. You'd have to have like a companion animal society that somehow protected but not deprived of choice and then they just kind of have to exist along with us and there would almost be like a a (laughs) co-determination for like i choose them they choose me they just it's like that that cat that shows up at your house it's like a it's a feral cat but it it shows up over and over again it's like well is that a pet i don't i don't know Not to dive too deep into this, so I'm going to move on to our next question. We talked a lot about different policies towards animals and things like that, but how do you interact with politicians who may have really great policies and attitudes towards, let's say, non-human animals, but maybe has some policies that go against your her- firmly held beliefs towards your fellow humans? Do you, mm. How do you balance those, or which do you weigh more than the other? So I, I haven't really encountered that person (laughs) i for the most part if someone is on board with animal rights to the degree that is practical for politicians especially politicians in pennsylvania whose major industry is agriculture and a large part of that is animal agriculture insofar as there are people who who fit that bill those people tend to also be on what i would consider the right side of uh of human beings issues so they tend to be equality focused they tend to have more left-leaning policies believing in like uh social safety net and and just general protectivism, I guess, or compassion for people. I think that there there really is like a through line. There's this there's this concept in Jainism. I'm not religious or even that spiritual or anything, but I do I do like to borrow <laughs> from from some faith communities sometimes. And in Jainism, there's a there's a concept called ahimsa, and that's that's basically like the the do no harm. Uh, it's like harmlessness. So I think that you know if that's your starting point for animals, it's it would be really hard to be a person who looks at uh you know the animals that look more like us <laughs> and to think oh well i'm going to be uh, i think you curse on the on the podcast before so uh to be shitty towards them right yeah it, it, they can live off 725 dollars an hour that's no problem <laughs> right exactly they're you're not going to be against like raising the minimum wage and then just say like oh yeah i want these these people can suffer or they can have three jobs in order to make ends meet but when i'm looking out at these beings that i had to go through a couple hurdles because of the culture around me to find like a solidarity with them um these ones these these are the ones for me 
<laughs> but the, the people who look like me, nah, 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 they can, they can just fend for themselves. I just, I haven't met that person. I'm sure, you know, every, every type of person probably exists at least one instance of them in the world. So I'm sure there's that person, but thankfully I haven't encountered them. I do encounter the alternative though, where, where, you know, people, they align with me on, I guess I'll call it human politics, but they, they don't align with me on, in like my animal rights convictions. And I have qualms about it. For sure. It's another, I like the framework where it's like, uh, what's the alternative, right? These people wouldn't not run for office <laughs> if I weren't working for them. Uh, that's that's a way to excuse a lot of things. So it goes a little bit beyond that. Like I do still have some standards. Like here, here's a, a very on the nose example. I worked a congressional campaign in 2018 and the person who I was working for was actually a dairy farmer, which that's, uh, that was definitely a hurdle for me. That was something where I was kind of surprised that I was willing to work it, but the person who was running against him was actually somehow worse. <laughs> you know, like this, like I, I was working for somebody whose job was dependent on the property's uh, status of cows, and sure, I was like working for him, but the the man who he was running against was was worse. Like he was like explicitly against any form of animal rights. And at least the person who I was uh, working for had opposed puppy mills when he was secretary of agriculture for PA. Well, I guess I've done enough identifying information now. So his his name's Denny Wolf, and uh, and he he's he, our he, biggest sponsor, though. No. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, so so he was uh he's he's up in Columbia County and um he's a nice guy apart from you know what he does for work and the mismatch of our philosophies when it comes to animal rights. But at least he had a couple things that he had done in the past that even though it only extended to the, the animals that we find cute and that we think of, you know, as our companions, it was it was still at least something that I could look to and say, okay, not evil just some some choices i don't agree with and i think it's always going to be a balancing act like that uh, i'm not going to agree 100 percent with any politician unless i ever become a politician myself <laughs> like that's the only that's the only solution and i mean maybe this is a good time for a call to action because i would actually i would really love to see people who are ardent animal rights supporters running for office even if it's difficult and maybe i should just throw it out there like if you if you're if you're willing to to put yourself out there as a vegan running for office somebody who's going to actually have like a policy section on your website that's about these issues i want to work with you so so like i i I would love to see more diversity of opinion more more diverse philosophies and i think that at at zero percent which is the current representation we have for for this kind of philosophy in the the pa legislature i would like to have one person we have we have one of the largest per capita governments in in the u.s uh in pa just because we have have so many different levels of government we have so many different people who represent us in everything from the courts to the legislatures to our local municipal executives so i would love to just get a couple of those people <laughs> to agree with me when it comes to our compassionate duty to non-human animals so was he aware that you were vegan yes yeah <laughs> how did he react to that when you told him mostly mostly humorously i think he was kind of surprised that i wanted to work for his campaign but i did and his his reaction most of the time would just be i think at certain points he would just forget about it i actually i'm sure he did because he didn't he wasn't one of those people who was going to really jeer someone so he wasn't offering me things to throw it in my face he was offering me things because he forgot that i was vegan so he would like offer me food pretty frequently um so he wasn't like trolling you 
Oh yeah, exactly. It, not that type of person at all. That's another thing. Like I, I think just like there's a maturity level that I that I have as a baseline, and um, and if you're more mature, you tend to not make light of people's deeply held beliefs, right? And like I wouldn't do that for somebody, even if I disagreed with them. Like I, I would not pull punches. I would disagree with them. I would debate them. I would do whatever. But I'm not going to belittle their beliefs and that's kind of a standard that i do have that's sort of informal just because i don't feel like i would work well with somebody who would make those kinds of jokes or who would be dismissive well you heard it here folks nathan is looking to get a vegan in political office so if you're thinking of running reach out to him and i also like to do a plug for some of the work we're doing here at animal advocates as part of our compassion continues campaign which we'll be unveiling in the next few weeks we're having a main political advocacy piece of that where we'll be trying to work with our local legislators and vegan community to push out a bunch of vegan related issues and get some of that stuff through the office so if somebody's looking to influence politics nathan what's a way they can make sure the right people hear the right things just on a kind of any i hate this phrase joe schmo <laughs> sitting at home who wants to make right. a difference politically yeah so i guess like zooming out to the macro level um parties are still hugely important in politics. So one of the first stops that any prospective candidate should make is to their local party, just because in some ways, for better or worse, they're the gatekeepers. Uh, I say for better or worse, because there there is some utility to parties, they do help to train people in how to navigate government and elections. But then they also make it to where, you know, some candidates who might be great for an area never see the light of day. So I think that's a good stop to make that they'll have information. And that's whether it's in Montour, County, Dauphin County, or Philadelphia County. No matter where you go, there's there's Democratic Party in every every one of Pennsylvania's 67 counties. So go there, and that's at any level that you want to run for, municipal office, legislative, whatever it is. Go to them, talk about running for office. They'll they'll help you get set up with petitions, as long as you're registered with the, you know, the right party. So, so you're going to have to reach out accordingly. I think there's probably an over-representation of, or maybe not over-representation, but we, we make up more. I'm a Democrat, and I think that more often than not, the people who align with animal rights are on the left. So Democratic offices are, are really easy to reach. I can't say I've ever had to reach out to Republican offices, but I'm sure they're Googleable. <laughs> reach out to them first. And then, I mean, after, after you've had a little conversation with them about what it might entail, if you decide that you want to run, feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> do, you, do you do show notes? Yes, we do. Perfect. So feel free to just put all my information in there. I, I really would love to connect with some people who are interested in running for office. Well, that's hopefully we can get some people out there for you. And if anyone's looking to work with Nathan, Nathan, what are some success stories you have in your political work to really show people how you can make big things happen? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I've worked on some winning co commissioner races. Uh, I worked on a winning state rep race. And I've also worked on, on three mayoral campaigns that we won and one that we didn't. But we'll, we'll stick with the ones I won. So, or we won. It's, it's always a group effort. So I do have a track record that's pretty good. But honestly, I run in a lot of districts that are long shots, um, just because I think it's important to show up even, even when it's difficult. So I also have a lot of losses under my belt. But I wear those with pride as well, just because I think that 
the it's so important. Like I said, you gotta you gotta show up. People have to know that there are alternative visions for the world. Otherwise, they just feel stuck, and it's so easy to become disheartened and disenchanted by the world. So that's another part of why I just love to see compassion on the ballot. I love that phrase you just said before because we had a guest on the show a few weeks ago, MCR, who was saying he wasn't vegan and he didn't know it was a thing, and then he met someone who was and goes, "Wait, that's a thing!" And then all of a sudden, <laughs> his whole life changed and he went vegan overnight. So people right. don't know what they don't know. Right. Right, exactly. Exactly. I love it. Well, that's all the questions I have, Nathan. You gave us so much great info. Has fantastic discussion. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I want to hear more about that uh, that campaign that's coming up too. I, I'd love to get involved with some political action for you know for the animals in my life. Well, we'll be sure to share all the info with you, and we'll be sharing the info with everyone as soon as we get more developed and get it out there. So everyone, stay tuned, and I'll put all Nathan's info in the show notes. And if you ever want to get a hold of us, just email us at bekindpodcast at gmail That's actually how Nathan got on the show. So that email does work. <laughs> we do check it. <laughs> right. I love it. Thanks for all you do. Oh, Hold thank on. you. Same this is you. great. You're doing great things out there and looking forward to seeing what we can do together, hopefully down the line. For sure. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Be Kind Podcast. Presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania.